0: It's the 29th of September. I'm Arthur Falls, and this is episode 16 of Beyond Bitcoin. Today, Justice Ranveer returns to discuss Monitas, a startup he's involved with, which is building on top of the open transactions protocol. We also dig into crypto equities, reputation, arbitration, and the informal
1: economy. Right now, I'm actually in a closet, or um, I think in Europe they call them hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here in Switzerland uh, meeting with them and onboarding new employees, helping them get uh, get up to speed. So you're in Zurich, right? Zug.
0: Zug, excuse me, Zug.
1: Like um, 20 minutes out of Zurich, I think.
0: Oh, cool, man. Awesome. That's pretty flash, working with a company called Manitas in, uh, in Zug, just outside of Zurich. Right, <laughs> I can see like the little grin at the corner of your mouth. <laughs> well,
1: it's it's still a small company. I remember when it was only three people, but uh, yeah, they have an awesome name. How long have they been operating for? Um, well, I believe they've been operating for two years, but uh, like before, uh, about six months ago, it really was just. Fellow Traveler and Johan, the, the CEO and CTO and co-founders, and I believe they had one other employee. And it was only in the uh, starting in about uh, April or May when they really started uh, ramping up. They did their, uh, their second round of fundraising and started hiring more coders, and they're still in the process of ramping up now. I believe the company's uh, around 20 people now. 20 people? I believe so, and bringing in more all the time.
0: That's awesome, man. I had no idea that they were kind of snowballing like this.
1: They've just kind of been off the radar, you know, in a lot of the Bitcoin media. Um, they're not, well, they're, they're not doing um, the kinds of things that some of these other projects are doing, so you don't quite, you know, you don't hear about them as much.
0: I mean, there are certain things that really appeal to the media, but, uh, but Monetas is, I think, we, yeah, we were talking, um, I was talking to the guys at Hyperledger for the last episode, um, which will probably be a few episodes prior by the time I publish this. But, um, yeah, it's like they had this really awesome pragmatic concept that just wasn't something that kind of inspired a lot of media attention or, you know, the, the fanfare that comes around some of the some of the altcoins that people can buy into. And, you know, this uh, I really wanted to talk to you about your article, um, Lex Cryptographia. Uh, which is probably yet another mispronunciation. But um, how about we talk about Monitas for a bit, uh, seeing as you're probably a good person to talk about them.
1: Uh, yeah, Open Transactions is the um, the uh, signed receipt system. It's a, a an open source open protocol. Monitas is a commercial software company that's building apps for Open Transactions, and also funding the open source development on Open Transactions. Well, Monitas's biggest products are really going to be uh, products for businesses, not necessarily commercial products for end users. So they're producing uh, some Android and iPhone apps for uh, you know for interacting with uh, the OT signed receipts. And they're also producing the the component uh, of uh, vote for voting pools, the audit the audit server the uh, the system that uh, does the cross-checking of receipts and that interfaces with the uh, the Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency wallet the way that the average Bitcoin would interact with Monetos is uh, when voting pools launch uh, we'd uh, expect to we've seen already seen some interest with uh, some Bitcoin exchanges to use the voting pools as their system for accepting and managing customer deposits so that, inter- that uh, that really affects the uh, the average Bitcoiner in that they're less likely to get their bitcoins robbed off an exchange.
0: Well, how about you? How does that uh, How does that mechanism lead to greater security for Bitcoin storage? Uh,
1: it means that more people have to collude to steal or lose your money. So, if you remember a year ago, everybody trusted Mark to hold their money, and you know, one guy acting alone could steal everyone's money or lose it or miscode a wallet. We don't really know where the, where the bitcoins went. Uh, in a voting pool, the, uh, the responsibility for the customer deposits are split up o- amongst multiple parties and not just multiple parties in one company but multiple parties in different companies across different jurisdictions that are all business competitors so that the, the bar to, uh, to collusion is higher. Now, uh, it doesn't mean that thefts and losses are impossible. just means that uh, they're less likely. So instead of a single point of failure in uh, you, you know, trusting on Mark's integrity and uh, coding skills, you're relying on a, a group of people who all have the incentive to make sure that none of the people in the pool cheat because it, they would lose their own money too. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, there you go. That's kind of, so that's the project that you're involved in.
1: There's uh, Monotas has hired a lot of coders, but um, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, experienced Bitcoin programmers are kind of in short supply at the moment. <laughs> so we have a lot of really experienced developers from, like, uh, a lot of them are from Canonical or Rackspace or, you know, people who've done a lot of development, but they're still new, new to Bitcoin, new to open transactions, and new to voting pools. My contract is to produce uh, the documentation and support to kind of help them get up to speed so that they know what they're building uh how are they getting their funding uh they are funded through traditional investment so monitas has raised uh, they they've done two they've i think they've just completed the second round of fundraising and they're about ready to go into round three but uh, it is a privately held company uh, the founders are you know they're, they're selling they're giving away their equity you know to raise to fu- raise funds to pay the coders to produce the products but they don't uh they plan to keep the company private and to uh you know sell as little as equity as possible but it's it's being funded through traditional means
0: that's real but you you're sure that they won't produce a token for us at some stage so we can all just grab a little slice of the pie
1: well it would be really hard to uh to do a token system like Open Transactions itself is um, is open source, so there's nothing there. There's nothing that a token would add. There's like all of the functionies there without tokens. So they could add a uh, a token to Open Transactions, and then people could just compile it out and use it without the token. So the kind of tokens that we've seen you know, in these other projects would not work in open transactions at all.
0: Well, if they're doing well without it, uh, it kinda lends a bit of a bit of the legitimacy. Le, excuse me. It lends a bit of legitimacy in that they haven't bought into the uh just the frenzy of enthusiasm that's boiling around crypto equity, which you know, is dubious and it's justification. And-
1: right, uh, my personal opinion is that uh, everyone should stay as far away as possible from these things. I think they're bad news and I think it's going to just uh, end badly for almost everyone. But I should I should uh, mention at this point, I am a contractor for Monotos, so I don't speak for them in any way.
0: That's probably prudent. <laughs> so when you say end badly for all these people, I mean you know you're you're speaking to one of them, so how do you uh how do you envision that end might come about
1: Well, basically, what we've seen with a lot of altcoins right there's a hype cycle they go up in value, the hype cycle ends they go down and never come back up for that's for the for like the i p o investors The more general problem is that uh a lot of these tools are being built before there's a real need for them. Like uh, crypto equity, like issuing stocks in a, you know, in a Bitcoin company is, or at least issuing the stocks as cryptocurrency tokens, is premature. Uh, most Bitcoin companies are not going to be profitable in uh, like say Bitcoin terms. Like if you invest a thousand bitcoins in a startup, you are unlikely to get a thousand bitcoins back. In terms of uh, your return on investment, that might be profitable in fiat terms, but uh, very, very few companies can be profitable in Bitcoin terms. It's hard to generate a positive, uh, you know, a positive return greater than the, you know, long-term growth of Bitcoin. A growth which
0: has been pretty dismal this year.
1: Uh, it's just a few months. We saw this before in 2011. We saw it in 2012. You know, it happens.
0: <laughs> uh, it won't stop us from feeling depressed, though, man.
1: Oh, yeah, that's part of the cycle. But really, <laughs> would you uh, would you borrow 1,000 Bitcoins on a, a five-year loan? No. No, well, no that not. would be insane, right? There's For one thing, there, there's no need for crypto equity markets yet, because there's no... Like maybe maybe the gambling sites that earn revenue denominated in Bitcoin maybe they have a, a positive r o i in bitcoin terms, but until there's a real Bitcoin economy going there's uh there's no real need for equity markets yet
0: well, on that note, the mention of the Bitcoin economy because this is really what uh this is what I wanted to talk to you about last time I had you on here and but there's so much to, to go into, and, uh, and you certainly provide a, a useful counterpoint to a lot of attitudes that are out there, certainly a lot of my own. So I, we wound up talking about all kinds of things last time. Uh, I was When I was reading your article, Lex Cryptographia, at the start of it, you quoted Christoph Atlas, and he said, um, oh no, sorry, that was in Only the Black Market Matters. Uh, and he said, those of us who do not participate in the underground economy are often unaware of its breadth. It grew to include one half of the world's workers by 2009, and is projected to include two thirds of workers by 2020. So that's a huge, huge undocumented workforce or that exists as a potential market for these tools. I guess what I'm wondering is how much of Bitcoin's market penetration is taking place in that sector and uh, also how much do you think is taking place how much of the transaction volume is taking place in the dark market sector
1: well um i would imagine that uh bitcoin is doing pretty well in the underground economy uh last time i checked um the stats as in terms of new sites that have popped up to replace silk road uh the last time i heard there's over two dozen of those now so that's quite a bit of growth that's happening in terms of transaction volume on the blockchain I, I have no idea i don't even know how it would begin to track that
0: yeah i've read a lot of people complaining about what's taking place with the um with the new you know with the new decline in value and a lot of them blame it on you know, on merchant uptake in which people are Transacting in Bitcoin and then immediately converting into fiat, also miners converting immediately into fiat. But those two things just can't possibly come close to the volumes that uh, are transacted in in the in the dark markets, which you know for me kind of it really colours my uh, my understanding of how this economy is is forming and emerging.
1: Okay, well I, I want to say one thing about who's dumping on the exchanges. I want to remind everyone. We don't actually know that those exchanges have all the bitcoins that are being sold. Right. Until something like voting pools with real time auditing, you know, comes in, it's entirely possible that one or more exchanges is uh, you know, selling bitcoins that don't exist. And that's what was going on at Mount Gox, presumably, right? It was either that or they were buying bitcoins with dollars that didn't exist. Some or yeah, I, I do think it got to the point where as far as anyone could tell they only had actually 2000 bitcoin 200,000 bitcoins ever but the customers thought that they were owed 800,000 or something like that uh, but it's it's so confusing there's like this the, this fog around that nobody really knows what's going on probably that's delivered by somebody
0: so anyway let's um let's go into uh Lex cryptography because that's the um that's what i've really uh, really been looking forward to exploring with you and um and the emergence of this uh informal legal system and you based the article which is on your blog what what
1: was the address of your blog by the way uh bitcoinism.liberty.me
0: so on that in that article you looked at lex mercatoria um the the merchant law that emerged during the way back in ages and compared that to an emerging law in the crypto sphere. Could you talk about Lex Mercatoria and how that relates to um, Lex Cryptographia?
1: The short answer for Lex Mercatoria was that uh, there was a lot of trade going on and there was a lot of disputes that would arise as just a natural course of trade uh, because we're humans. Humans don't always agree on everything, right? And the... um, the government or the uh, I guess it would be like the uh, the, uh, the Kings provided courts were not sufficient or suitable for resolving all these disputes and so because there was a market need for dispute resolution and it wasn't being provided any other way or there was no and there were no barriers to providing it via the market then uh, this voluntary court system emerged you know when you have a a a kind of voluntary court system it can't enforce its rulings in any traditional sense but in a uh, in this kind of marketplace like what uh, what they had at the time reputation becomes extremely important because uh, the the value of reputation actually increases when there's no enforcement capability you know if if you ca- if you can't send uh you know s- send some of the uh, the king's armed soldiers after somebody who uh, owes you money then if you don't have that to fall back on you have to be extra careful about who you do business with because you know if they decide to rob from you you have effectively no recourse so the fact that reputation becomes so important when there is no enforcement means that uh repu- you know a court doesn't need, you know, you know, armed agents to enforce its will. If ever, if you get the reputation of someone who doesn't honor your contracts, and if, if as long as the court maintains a uh, a system of or a, a reputation for fair and honest dealing, uh, you're hosed if you if you can't do business with anyone because they don't trust you. That's the, the kind of basic dynamic that goes on.
0: And how do you see that translating into a uh, into the cryptographic space?
1: Well, uh, we do have reputation systems already. They have some degree of effect. Like uh, once you get a good reputation on a trading site, your trading becomes more profitable. I spent a lot of time last year on local bitcoins. Um, and because of, because of that profile and because of that uh, time investment, uh, I have a lot less trouble finding reputable traders than I did or, finding the, or I'd say finding the most advantageous trades now than I did when I started out so that that's an example of a reputation system that's already working the, the lex cryptographia blog post that I wrote was based on some uh, some conversations we'd had with uh, people in Austin some of them that went on to form the Nakamoto Institute and uh, we were th- we this we th- thought about combining the idea of insurance and reputation so if you have a reputation system that you know, works fairly well. One of the ways that you can improve on it is if people who don't have reputation yet can uh, offer up a uh, a performance bond as an alternative, or you know, as a way to compensate for their lack of reputation. Uh, the other thing that does is it enables uh, increasingly larger deals, right? There's um, there there tends to be like a comfort limit, uh you know when you're talking about small transactions people are more more willing to uh, rely on reputation but as deals get bigger and higher value um, there there comes to a limit where they're less comfortable accepting reputation alone and if you have a system that also allows you to augment reputation with performance bonds that would give uh, those people in those markets access to those deals you know it's uh you know it's it's insur- self insurance on contract performance
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of reputation systems out there but they're not there's nothing that advanced you know what I mean
1: i I can't really say too much about how it exactly would be implemented because before it can exist there would need to be a the marketplace that it serves All right so maybe open Bazaar would become that marketplace or something like that but uh the, the the marketplace comes first, that generates the need for it, and then based on what that marketplace looks like, would would come the exact implementation details, right? Like uh, you see. don't need a dispute resolution for a um, for this marketplace that doesn't exist yet.
0: No, but it, wouldn't it be fun to build one?
1: <laughs> sure, but yeah, and actually, after I wrote that post, I had I don't know how many people wanting to fund a startup even some people who want to fund a dispute resolution token, but yeah, it's, it's all premature. First you have to have the marketplace of the people who need this, um, you know, need this service and then you build the service. All right. It's like building it, building it prematurely is a solution looking for a problem.
0: Okay. I thought you tied the shoes before you put them on your feet.
1: Yes. A lot of people try that, but, uh, I'm I'm gonna buck the trend on this one.
0: Oh, yeah! Good on you. This is really aimed at dealing with problems like the long con and uh, and Sybil attacks.
1: Yes, that's a, it's a way of helping with that, right? Because um, I would I would imagine in the future, long cons would be rarer, because right now we're kind of the the crypto ecosystem or the economy is in its infancy it's very small so you can always do a long con there and leave and there's this whole other fiat economy waiting for you to fall back on. Uh, 20 years from now probably not going to be the case you know um, but while we're in this transition period uh, there are people who don't appreciate the value of establishing a a reputation because maybe they don't believe that Bitcoin and uh, you know online free markets are going to last so they'll they'll squander their their reputation for a short-term payout so yeah in that case performance bonding is a uh, you know one way to you know to mitigate that so if, if somebody's willing to put up uh, you know a bond on their contract performance uh, at least that time you can be pretty sure that they're not trying to scam you then
0: Certainly you'd presume that there'd be sufficient disincentive.
1: Right. It would be based on uh, the value of their bond, right? If if they would stand to lose more from that bond than they gain from uh, not fulfilling their contract, then you can be pretty sure they're going to fulfill the contract. Or if they don't, then at least you're not out anything monetarily.
0: But you still have, because if if those bonds are going to be voluntary, the, the civil attack still issue still exists on a certain level doesn't it
1: right you would want to make sure that the the arbiter who's responsible for releasing that bond isn't the same or colluding with the uh the person you're uh trading with so yeah it doesn't doesn't completely eliminate the civil attack problem but it uh it moves it around a bit
0: that's a good uh good segue into discussion about arbiters and also these third party people who these third-party actors who, uh, who participate, providing trusted feeds or, uh, or arbitration services, maybe, uh, maybe adjusting values to, um, or prices where, where necessary. What are your views on how, some, how an arbiter might play?
1: Well, I think you could build a future system where arbiters are not randomly, but kind of semi-randomly chosen. Right, you could build a market for arbitration services and the, because the arbiters don't handle the value directly, I don't believe they have the same incentive to collude. Right? Yeah. If their only revenue is coming from these you know, small arbitration fees they get per pr- transaction, and if, they, um, if, if people demand more uh, identity information of their arbiters than they do of the uh, people they're trading with, then uh, the incentives for an arbiter to uh, throw away their reputation are lower. It would mean you'd you'd have to pay them more to corrupt them and uh, you know in this kind of system you uh, you can't get cryptographic protection against human action really it's just not there. The best you can do is say well we can raise the price of bad behavior so that good behavior is more profitable and that doesn't mean there will be no bad behavior, but it just means that over time, the trend will be towards more good behavior. And
0: it's that incentivizing that is really the the crypto economic
1: way, isn't it? Well, more than the crypto economic way, but I would I would say that that's the free market. The free market is when all the incentives are aligned for cooperation and honest trading.
0: How do you see from this from the point we are now, where we are now, where we do have some? Economic activity. How do you see that transitioning through an avenue like like Open Bazaar to the world at large? I mean, could you could you give us a roadmap?
1: So, what I would expect to happen is that over the next few years, as in the especially in the Western countries, um, you're going to see more and more distress, economic distress, in the uh, in what was traditionally the, the strong economies, and. The, the people who are not in the political elite and their immediate set of servants, are, they're going to have their standards of living fall. Either it's going to be inflation or it's going to be uh, deflation that causes joblessness and uh, you know, just a lack of money circulating in the economy without uh, the corresponding lowering of barriers to entry and other things that would allow the economy to adjust. So if you look at, like, the Latin American economies, you see where you have this very small, rich elite, and everyone else lives pretty much hand to mouth. I would expect the United States and Europe to, over time, start to resemble that more and more often, more and more. And so as that's happening, uh, people are going to get desperate, and they're, they're going to lose some of their scruples about the informal economy. And they'll start doing, you know, people, people actually, people already do this, you know, they'll, uh, uh, find, you know, do like unpaid, you know, handyman work under the table. They'll just do jobs for cash, right, to earn a little bit of extra cash, and they won't report it. That's already something that happens in times of economic stress. And what Bitcoin and these other associated tools are doing is it's opening up the possibilities for that. You know, if you're a knowledge worker, for example, that's something that can be delivered online you know you can have customers on another continent and what's different what's different than uh, you know you could have done that since the Internet was invented but what's different now is that you can get paid uh, so this is you'll um, it won't be just people doing uh, manual labor you know for cash under the table it will be knowledge workers doing the same thing for uh, you know high-value uh, or generally high-paying work,
0: because we're beginning to see that a little bit with um, with things like Odesk and what was Amazon's service. Amazon has a service where small tasks can be
1: farmed out. That's called the Mechanical Turk.
0: Yeah, the Mechanical Turk. Bizarre name.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I think it's this reference to a like an old magic show trick or something.
0: Do you see this kind of activity increasing um, through? decentralized services that perform the functions of say mechanical turk and odisc
1: yeah i think there'll be a lot of platforms that emerge that enable these um and they don't even really have to be that complicated i mean go to reddit and go to jobs for bitcoin a lot of activity there and i've actually i've had some success with uh jobs for bitcoin when like i have a question that i don't have time to research or something just post a. Uh, post a bounty there and usually i get a response within minutes you know there's this there's a lot of people out there eager to earn bitcoin with their work and the that amount is only going to go up over time and they'll find venues and ways ways to meet and there'll be there'll be lots of platforms
0: what have you been keeping your eye on recently i mean what uh, what out there is um is really getting you interested right now
1: uh well open bazaar is the only one that i'm more than just vaguely aware of. And I, I don't really have time to even really keep up with that other than I know that it's making good progress and I believe it's getting close to a release.
0: It's a, it's a pity because there's this awesome platform, uh, BitSquare. I spoke with one of the guys or with uh, the guy um, Manfred Correa from that and he had a great idea for an arbitration platform where two people could enter, could enter an exchange and put up a bond for that for that exchange, and an
1: arbitrator could um, could facilitate it. And- right. Um, arbitration is a it's it's a service for a market, and so the market doesn't have exist yet. Like you don't invest in um, gas stations until the automobile's been invented and a lot of people have it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to design. Gas station before you know what cars are going to look like, right? You wouldn't. You might have, you know, it might you might have the wrong spigot on your, uh, you know, your hose and. Yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, that there's a, a lot of interest in arbitration. Uh, well, this is actually something I've noticed in Bitcoin since at least 2010. There's a lot of people who who want to do the. I guess I I could say the easier work, the stuff you can do on a keyboard, and less people interested in the the hard work of actually running a business. You know, like actually getting your hands dirty, dealing with customers, uh, earning money on low margins just by consistent work every day. Um, That's actually what builds the economy, though. You know, the the people who open a grocery store and keep it open and keep it stocked and every day, uh, you know, Deal with all the hassles of running a business, millions of people in that uh, create an economy. And sure, economies need kind of support services like arbitration or maybe they need equity markets. But those those things serve an economy. They, they don't form an economy. So there, there's generally a lot more interest in doing those, those support roles and then there are people actually wanting to build the primary economic activity. I just get a picture. I, I remember seeing some image macro float across of some troll guy with mag, you know, standing on a metal bar using magnets to lift himself up. That's kind of <laughs> what I think of with this. Everybody wants to be in these support roles, and no one wants to do the primary economic activity.
0: I guess the idea is to build build something that will attract people who do want to do that. Baseline economic activity. Maybe people in Argentina.
1: Right, and I do think that's a good approach. So you first you focus on what are the... Um, you define a market. So the the market that makes most sense right now, I guess there are two you could focus on. You could focus on the the Silk Road type markets and try to look at that customer base, see what they need, and build the platform that works for them. And with the fact that they're like... Thirty Silk Road replacements right now is indication that that's already happening. So maybe that maybe that field's kind of full at the moment. So the next thing you look at is the uh, the international uh, online freelancer. Then uh, you build you build something like that for them. So somebody who wants to uh, offer their skills to customers in other countries get paid in bitcoins or pro- probably bitcoins, maybe something else and have all the support tools they need to make that experience uh, beneficial to them. And, uh, you know, I don't know really too much what OpenBazaar is working on right now, but hopefully they're, they're uh, considering that as a, one of their primary use cases. So somebody who's a writer, uh, a programmer, um, an artist, those, those kind of jobs, you know, how can they advertise to potential clients and uh, invoice and get paid and handle uh, handle disputes. That's really
0: the core issue, isn't it? Is building some kind of central infrastructure where people can find a uh, a way of trusting the people that they're that they're working with, or at least that, or not having to rely on that trust. Which sounds like a, a truism, but in fact, it's it's not something that we have at as of this very moment, seen any progress in?
1: Yeah, every everything's kind of ad hoc right now. There, I don't know of any unified platform that gives you advertisement and payment and dispute resolution all in one place.
0: The other thing as well is um, is the consistency of the behaviour of arbitrators. We need a uh, we need to be able to transact in a way where the results of our transactions or mistransactions will be you know are are reliable. It's that reliability that raises another concern about the behavior of arbitrators. Do you have any thoughts on how, on how that might be codified?
1: Uh, I don't know about codified, but um, there would it, there would be reputation for auditors or not for uh, arbiters, um, especially when as an arbiter, the only thing you have to offer is your is your reputation. There is no other product there. Right. So if um, if someone's, you know, offering to, to sell you a car, they're gonna like they're gonna you're gonna buy a car with them, they're gonna have it shipped to you. Your um, desire to get the car might uh, you know, they might they might be just such good car salesmen that your desire to get the car overwhelms your um, caution in looking at their reputation, right? Because they have they have a car and they have their reputation and you're looking you're evaluating both. With an arbiter there's there's not that same dynamic because the only thing they have to offer is their reputation so it it simplifies the uh the process of or or the decision making process
0: the product that they're selling is reputation itself right do you have any grand view about um about what's going to take place and for the rest of the
1: year Hmm. I, i don't know that the rest of the year is enough time for any grand plans um to me, this, uh, this period in Bitcoin feels a lot like um, second half of 2011 and 2012, right? There's a lot of infrastructure being out, built out, a, a lot of good news, a lot of things happening behind the scenes, but there's no exciting price action. Well, I, I guess it is kind of exciting, but not the excitement that everyone's looking for, right? So we don't really know when this is going to end, but um, all of this infrastructure that's being built is not just going to disappear. You know, Bitcoin is going to continue to become more useful. Uh, more people are going to enter the crypto economy. The the actual under economic fundamentals are just going to continue growing. What that turns into in terms of exchange rates, uh, you know, who knows?
0: Given that, what do you see for next year? I mean, what's really got you uh, got you excited about what's happening next year?
1: You know, I can't. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, the voting pools is going to be a very positive launch, you know. Um, ideally the software launch will go smoothly and perfectly and there will be no problems, right? So that would be something to be excited about, but uh, I, I guess I don't see any giant breakthroughs. I, I see a lot of uh, steady uh, steady progress and you know continual improvements. The, it, You know, if 2015 is really exciting for Bitcoin I would expect it to be uh, driven by like external events you know, another um, major banking crisis, people getting their bank accounts frozen and confiscated, bail-ins, those would be the kinds of things that would make Bitcoin really exciting. If we started to see mass uh, flights to safety out of fiat into Bitcoin because of, uh, you know, economic or geopolitical events.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, it's kind of that whole thing that uh, Bitcoin benefits from bad news. So you know, I'm always very torn when, when I watch the news. And uh, you know, particularly surrounding political instability, um, I'll edit that out. Uh.
1: <laughs> I believe it was Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh, I, I might, I might be misattributing this quote, but the the basic idea is that to win, Bitcoin does not have to defeat, you know, the dollar. It just has to survive longer. So we're not seeing any indication that the uh, you know the euro, the dollar, the yen are are going to survive. I mean. The damage is has been done. It's it's we just don't know what the timing is. So as long as Bitcoin survives, uh, you know, continues to withstand any attacks against it, and by Bitcoin I mean the whole economy surrounding it, uh, it just has to be the last one standing.
0: It's kind of a Mad Max kind of view, but uh, but I suppose that that's it. That's quite astutely put.
1: I guess my medium-term future for the United States of America is that it goes the way of the USSR. You know, the the debts become unpayable, the situation becomes untenable, and then one day you woke up and you've discovered that this empire that everyone thought would last forever just voted itself out of existence one day. And then uh, it kind of clears the way for, you know, market-based mechanisms to come in and rebuild. So I I don't see it as a Mad Max. uh, you know, Mad Max is like, oh, the government collapsed and then society collapsed. But no, it's more like the fall of the USSR. The government of USSR collapsed and then the healing could begin. You know, they they don't have breadlines in Russia now. The things, yeah, there was a, um, there was a, a transition period where, you know, things were a little rough for, you know, six months to a year, maybe depending on where you were at. Uh, a lot of people who were very used to pampered and privileged lives had to kind of come back down to earth but on the whole life got better and the economy got better so when i talk about the uh, you know the usa dissolving like the ussr did i see that as a
0: you know as a
1: sign of the thing that what will come back beyond is better
0: Thanks for listening, guys. CSIS provided the music. Feel free to contact me at beyondbitcoinshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Pertinent websites can be found in the show notes. Today's magic word is monetas. That's M-O-N-E-T-A-S. Catch you next week.